This episode of the podcast is brought to you by FitBod, the best fitness app on the market. Its genius algorithm will generate personalized workouts based on your fitness goals, available gym equipment, duration, fatigue levels, and many more factors. It allows you to track your progress and upload data to other apps such as Apple Health and Strava. FitBot also works without any gym equipment as it will provide you with bodyweight workouts as well. FitBot is giving you a free trial as well as 25% off its membership when you sign up at app.fitbod.me slash Bananiac. That's app.fitbod.me slash B-A-N-A-N-I-A-C. Get the app and get stronger faster with FitBod. Today's episode is with Glenn Mercer, who is an author, playwright, and screenwriter. He's a very passionate speaker when it comes to veganism for ethics, health, and environment. He's the co-author of Mad Cowboy and No More Bull with Howard Lyman. He's also written numerous books with Chef AJ, such as Unprocessed, The Secrets to Ultimate Weight Loss, and Own Your Health. And now with his most recent book, food is climate. Glenn and I get into his backstory, how he decided to go vegan at such a young age, what he learned on his journey, and what he stands for today. If you guys want to check out any of his work, I'll have them in the description down below, whether you're on YouTube or listening to the podcast version. Check out the links in the description and how you can connect with Glenn yourself. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Have, uh, Glenn Mercer here, who is very passionate about what we talk about on this channel, uh, plant-based nutrition, um, you know, uh, you know, taking care of this earth. Uh, and he's written numerous books on the topics, um, has coll- collaborated with uh, many uh, experts and, uh, you know, many passionate people out in this movement. So um, Glenn, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, and spending time with us. Tino, it's great to be with you. Well, um, I want to give you a, a chance here to kind of introduce yourself a little bit. Uh, if you want to explain to people who you are and uh, what you do. Okay, I'm a writer and I began as a playwright. And uh, then uh, one of my plays won me an award. I went to Hollywood and I wrote network television. I was one of the writers on Blossom. And uh, then I started writing screenplays. So I always thought of myself as a fiction writer and mainly as a playwright. Um, And then I got the opportunity to meet Howard Lyman. And for those of your viewers and listeners who don't know Howard Lyman, he was a fourth generation cattle rancher turned vegan and animal rights activist. Um, and he pitched to me the idea of writing a movie about his life. And his life had a great arc to it because he made this amazing transition from cattle rancher to vegan and animal rights activist. But I couldn't quite figure out how it would work in the structure of a movie, because in a movie, you need a third act climax. And, you know, the third act climax can't be eating stir fried vegetables. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't quite see the ending to it. Right. So uh, I, I said, I just I hope somebody could write this movie, Howard, but I don't know how to do it. And he said, well, how about a book? And I thought, well, a book, you know, I could write about heart disease. I could write about diabetes. I could write about uh, the environment, what animal agriculture does to the environment. I said, we could try that. And we worked together on a book that's called Mad Cowboy. Uh, and that book has done very well over the years. And I think it's made quite a few people vegan. So I'm proud of that book. Uh, and that got me into the plant-based movement. Until then, I was just a guy who initially had become vegetarian at 17. And then I became vegan uh, in my early to mid-30s. Um, and, uh, I, I didn't particularly preach about it. I didn't try to convert people. I was just doing it for my own health. But once I started working with Howard, I started to realize how important it is that we have a a societal transition to the vegan diet to protect the earth. You mentioned you went vegetarian at 17. Uh, what what was the reasoning? I mean, you were a young man, usually, you know, things like that aren't 
on typical teenagers' minds? Uh, I was in good health. I was a healthy kid. But uh, that year, my two uncles died. My mother's two brothers died of heart attacks. I had never met my grandparents. On my father's side of the family, all the men seemed to die in their 50s. So I said to myself, do I really want to be middle-aged at 25? You know, it, it didn't seem to make sense. And I, I honestly can't remember exactly where I learned that meat causes heart attacks. I remember I used to listen to the late comedian Dick Gregory. He was a vegetarian and he talked about it. Maybe it was from him. But I think it was fairly common knowledge even then that meat isn't good for your heart. Um, there, there were already studies back then. Um, and, you know, Tino, tell me if you feel the same way, but I look at a hamburger. It looks like a heart attack. I mean, you look at broccoli and you look at a hamburger. Which one would you guess is better for your heart? This right. fatty, slimy, greasy thing or this, this you know, green uh, stalk of life? So it just seemed obvious to me that... Um, that meat causes heart attacks. And so I, I decided I would be a vegetarian on the first day of summer vacation after my junior year in high school. So I got up that morning, a newly minted vegetarian, decided I would have an English muffin with jam for breakfast, made myself an English muffin. And the phone rang, it was my old buddy Dave. And uh, I pick up the phone, I say, hey Dave, congratulate me, I became a vegetarian. And he said, that, that's great. Since when? And I said, you know, since breakfast. And he laughed at me. And I'm still very pleased that he laughed at me because I haven't had meat in the, you know, 48 years since that breakfast. So it's good to be laughed at. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I hear that some people struggle with it. I never struggled with it at all. I made up my mind to stop eating meat. And I stopped eating meat. And I, I, I don't understand when some people say it's difficult because for me it was not difficult at all. I make up my mind to do something. I know it's bad for me and I stop doing it. And while some people say that there's an addictive quality to meat, it isn't addictive the way cigarettes are addictive. There isn't nicotine building up in your system. I can, even though I never smoke cigarettes, I can understand I can envision that it's difficult for smokers to quit because of that physical need. There's no physical need for this meat stuff. It's, it's maybe some psychological thing or some cultural habit, but you don't get physically addicted to meat. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I made up my mind to give it up, and that's what I advise everyone else to do. Just make up your mind to give it up and never even consider eating it again. Right, right. Yeah, the... Big thing, uh, well, I like what you said about meat not being addicting, but on the other hand, it it can be addicting, quote unquote, like in the sense that uh, it's difficult for people to give it up. But I think it's more of a mental thing rather than a physical thing like you were talking about. And I think it's more so because like meat is such more calorie dense. Uh, so then people kind of find comfort around it um, because it makes them feel good. but you know, when you look into nutrition, it's much more than just about calories. Um, as you mentioned in your books as well, it's it's a whole thing that could really save your life. Um, so very interesting that you had this kind of connection at a small, you know, at a young age. Um, did you, I guess, did you connect with the aspect of environmentalism or like the ethical purposes behind veganism? Like, did that um, click right away? Or maybe did you catch on that later on in your journey? Uh, I, I would say more later on in my journey, because I was doing it for my health. Um, you know, as, as I say in my book, Own Your Health, um, it's, it's very important to take your health into your own hands. And I was doing that from the age of 17. I knew that I had a plan ahead if I wasn't going to have a heart attack at 50. I knew that I had to take my health into my own hands. Uh, and this is what I advise everyone to do. Own your health. And the way you own your health is you begin with nutrition. There are other things that are important, like exercise and sleep and, and not becoming a drug addict. 
All those things are important. But you start with nutrition. And, and by the way, all those things are related. Because when you, when you fuel your body properly with healthy food, uh, I think that diminishes the desire to, uh, to uh, risk your health with heroin. Uh, and when you fuel your body with healthy food, you feel more like exercising than I imagine you would if you're eating cheeseburgers. Um, so, uh, and you probably sleep better. So all the elements of, of health start with nutrition. You fuel your body with healthy food. Uh, and I just instinctively knew that when I was young, but I wasn't too smart. Because what happened was when I gave up meat, I, I told people. And unfortunately, I told my obese aunt and uncle that I became a vegetarian and they were very alarmed, very alarmed. Now, you know, I felt like saying to them, look at yourselves. You, you don't look that healthy. But they were very alarmed that I wouldn't get enough protein. And I don't know, you know, if they thought my bones would collapse and my brain would fall out of my head. I don't know what they were worried about. But they said I wouldn't get enough protein. And I and they said, where are you going to get your protein? And so instinctively I said, oh, from cheese. So I kept eating cheese because I was a fool and also because there wasn't as much literature and, and you know, YouTube chat. And there certainly weren't YouTube channels then. There, were, there weren't all the sources of knowledge that we have now. I thought I needed cheese for protein, so I kept eating cheese. I just made a point. I didn't eat eggs. I didn't drink milk, but I ate cheese. That was my one, the, my one concession to the protein argument. Uh, so I would have a veggie burger, maybe with a slice of uh, cheddar cheese or something on it. Um, and then in my early 30s, remember, I got lousy genes for heart disease. In my early 30s, I started getting chest pains. And um, uh, it was like an electric shock right around my heart. It would, just, it would come in, a, in an instant, and I would almost drop to the ground because it was such a strong shock. And, uh, and then it would go away. And it happened about a dozen times, I'd say, between when I was 33 and 34, something like that. Um, and I said to myself, should I go to a cardiologist? because this, this isn't going away. And then I thought, well, what am I eating? I'm not eating meat. And why am I not eating meat? Saturated fat and cholesterol. And what's in cheese? Saturated fat and cholesterol. Cheese is liquid meat. Why did I listen to my aunt and uncle about protein? It's nonsense. So I stopped eating cheese and I've never had that sensation in my heart since. And that was 30 years ago. So I was developing heart disease because of cheese. And I advise everyone, don't just go vegetarian, go vegan. It, you know, vegetarian is better than nothing. But vegan is, is how to get optimal health. And not just vegan, not just vegan donuts. Not vegan donuts at all. You got to have a whole, you got to be a whole foods low-fat vegan, and that means getting the oil out of the diet, getting the sugar out of the diet, and just whole natural foods. And if you eat that way, you're fine, and you won't need drugs. I'm 65 years old, and I agree with you, Tino. I look much, much younger. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> but um, uh, I I've never taken a drug in my life, never taken a pharmaceutical drug except antibiotics on a couple occasions. I had dental surgery and there was one time I had 104 fever and uh, took antibiotics. But in general, I've never needed any other drug. I never will, I don't think. And, um, and that's the way to go through life. Do you eat whole plant foods and you know, you can't guarantee immortality, but your odds are so much better, you know? You know, my, my grandparents didn't live nearly as long as I'm, I'm alive now. And I feel, you know, I look at you, you're a young guy and I feel like I'm the same age and I'm not, <laughs> but that's how it feels when you eat healthy. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that, that's where it's at is 
natural living because once you start eating unnatural foods, you're, you may require unnatural responses like medication and things like that or surgeries. And that's what we want people to prevent. You know, we want people to eat a whole food plant-based diet. And I'm so glad that you, you know, that that's definitely what I believe in. And it's so awesome to connect with other people like you who, who see that, you know, who understand the benefits of eating natural food that comes straight out of the earth. What a bizarre idea, <laughs> but that's, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, that's, that's exactly where it's at. But um, I'm wondering though, like you mentioned uh, back in the day, you know, there wasn't YouTube and uh, really like a whole vast number of resources like there are today. Um, wh- was there anything back, you know, when you first went vegetarian or vegan that kind of helped you along your journey to maybe educate you or motivate you? Um, it's a great question, but I honestly don't remember anything other than having an instinct to stop eating meat. And remember, I wasn't vegan yet then. And I, you know, I, I, I didn't know to give up oil then. Um, I probably, I didn't have a lot of sugar, but I probably had some things with sugar. If I found a, um, you know, a, uh, I don't remember if they had vegan ice creams then, but, uh, you know, I probably had some treats that were made with sugar. Um, and, um, oh, a terrible thing I did. Terrible. Since I wasn't going to have butter, I had margarine. Mm. I thought, oh, that's fine. It's made from plant. Worst thing you can have, you know. So, uh, and again, that could have been partly responsible for those heart pains I was having. Um, so I was not a healthy you know, I, would, I did not have a terribly healthy diet until I became a vegan. And even after that, for 10 years after that or so, I was still having oil. So, you know, I, I didn't really become optimally healthy until about 10 years ago. I gave up oil and, uh, and just tried to make sure that I have whole foods all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I know I, you know, previously when you were talking about when you were first doing it you know you were talking about how difficult it was to kind of deal with family and friends who would say you know don't do this or you know you definitely should eat some meat for protein and things like that um can you just comment on like you know uh, i guess how that comes into play when you're trying to make i guess any sort of positive or or any sort of change that is kind of different from the status quo well, well, the, the best, the best way now wasn't available to me then, or at least not easily available, which is just to know the facts. Um, and as I point out in On Your Health, the, the need for protein is minuscule in the human diet. So when anybody asks you, if you're a vegan, where do you get your protein? Here's the answer from food. You eat any food, you get protein. Even fruit has a little bit of protein. Vegetables have a lot of protein. Greens have a lot of protein. Mushrooms have a lot of protein. Legumes have protein through the roof. So you eat food. I mean, if you eat beans once a day or lentils once a day, eat mushrooms, eat uh, 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 greens, eat your vegetables. There is nobody in America, not one person in America in a hospital right now for a protein short. But how many people are in hospitals for uh, heart attacks? So we know that meat gives you heart attacks. We know that cheese gives you heart attacks. And, and we know that the way to avoid that is to avoid meat and dairy. So why would anybody think that there's a problem with protein? There's no problem with protein. And if you get, if you eat meat, you're get, you're getting excessive protein. So what do you do with that? Do you store that somewhere? No, you piss it out. The body doesn't store protein. So what's the point of not only that, but T. Colin Campbell in the China study proved that animal protein is carcinogenic. Plant protein is superior to animal protein. It's not as sulfuric and uh, it's better for your bones. It isn't carcinogenic. So uh Campbell's experiment showed that if he replaced animal protein with plant protein, there was not a carcinogenic effect. So 
There's, there's zero argument to be made for animal foods. Why would you want to eat foods that have no fiber? You know, so if somebody says to you, where do you get your protein? You say, where do you get your fiber? You know, it's much, it, we have the majority of Americans are fiber deficient by far. I think it's something like 90% of Americans are considered fiber deficient. And I don't even accept the, those numbers because I don't think they have a good sense uh, at, at the um, FDA about how, mu how much fiber people need. Um, but um, even accepting those numbers, 90% are fiber deficient. That's where people have deficiencies. We got 0% essentially protein deficient. So why, why worry about protein? It's foolish. Yeah, protein is way too overblown out of proportion these days. Uh, I mean, it is important. We all know that protein is important, but it's almost as if like as, as long as you consume enough protein, you're pretty much exempt from consuming any other nutrient like fiber, uh, potassium, you know, all the stuff that many Americans and other Western uh, civilizations uh, lack in. Um, so that's why, you know, going for these whole plant-based foods that you talk about, uh, have your latest book right here on your health. Um, so definitely recommend people check it out. And inside, I mean, not only do you talk about the science, which you, you know, you were mentioning, but, uh, what I find really interesting is you talk about stories and that's where I think the magic really lies is people can connect with stories. Um, that's where, you know, um, that's that's how you make relationships and you can, you know, relate to others experiences. So can you talk a little bit about that um, and, you know, uh, what you talk about in the book? Yeah. Well, you know, I did two books with Chef AJ. Um, one book is called Unprocessed and one book is called The Secrets to Ultimate Weight Loss. And in both of those books, she told her personal stories. And that's what helped those books connect with readers. So in this book, I told my stories. Um, and then I have a chapter on the science of nutrition. So we go into nutritional studies. Um, but I told some of my stories. And, uh, for example, there's the story of how my parents saved each other's lives. Um, when, uh, when my parents were in, they were the same age. And when they were in their early sixties, I think it was, um, my mother, told my father that she needed to go to the dermatologist for her varicose veins. So my father hated doctors, but he reluctantly drove my mother to the dermatologist. And my father sat in the waiting room. My mother went in to see the doctor. Uh, the doctor said, what seems to be the problem, Dorothy? And my mother said, my husband. And the doctor said, what's the problem with your husband? My mother said, please bring him in here. So the doctor went out into the waiting room, escorted my father into the office. My mother blocked the door with her body and said, look at his cheek, look at that thing. And the doctor, the dermatologist looked at it and said, we, we need to do a biopsy of that. Now my father had always been dismissive of this growth he had on his face, but he reluctantly agreed to the biopsy and it was melanoma and they did surgery and it saved his life. So he lived another 25 years because my mother forced him to go to the doc. Um, about five years later, my parents moved to Florida and my mother who had a heart condition like so many people in my family, um, went to the cardiologist. The cardiologist said, uh, you've got a 90% block of your carotid artery. You need an emergency uh, um, angioplasty. Let's schedule it for tomorrow. And my father said, don't do it, daddy. He's going to kill you. Don't do it. Just talk to Glenn about what you should eat. Don't let this guy kill you. And the doctor, of course, was furious. Who are you going to listen to, him or me? And my father said, I'll divorce you if you listen to him. So <laughs> my mother was under a lot of stress. Should she get divorced or listen to the doctor? So my mother thought about it. She didn't like being put under this pressure. <laughs> my father wasn't a very woke guy, you know. Um, and uh, my mother said, well, to the doctor, I, I, 
I don't want to get divorced. We just got new furniture. So she didn't get the angioplasty. And instead, she talked to me about what she should eat. And I told her, stop eating meat, more fruits and vegetables. She didn't go 100% vegan, but she got pretty close. Uh, and when she was, let's see, about in her late 80s, I moved them to California to be closer to me. And then she went vegan. I, I did all their food shopping and they went vegan. So my mother lived almost 99. Now, she was about 64 or so when she was in that doctor's office. Now, if she if she had gotten that angioplasty and lived to 99, that doctor would be saying that was the, his best patient of all time. And you see the value of angioplasty. But no, it's the value of broccoli and fruits and vegetables. And my father was right, because if he if she had that surgery, I don't think she would have made it to 99. About 1% of patients die on the table of the angioplasty. So you got a 1% chance of dying tomorrow if you do that. And then you have the stents that are put in that get clogged up, you get blood clots, you put on medication. It's a downward spiral. You don't want to do it. So my, my mother saved my father's life by taking him to the doctor. And my father saved my mother's life by saying, don't listen to the doctor. Listen to your son. Um, and, uh, and I have no medical education at all. I'm self-taught. So that's the point of the book. You have to own your health. Um, you have to take your health into your own hands. And yes, you have to use medical um, uh, support wisely. Doesn't mean never go to the doctor. It doesn't mean always go to the doctor. You have to try to get a good sense of when medical care is is required and 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 to your own advantage. Don't ever take the attitude, my health is in the hands of my doctor. I'll just eat whatever I feel like and leave it up to her or him. No. Your medical your your health is in your own hands. A doctor can sometimes help. Yeah. Yeah, wow. What what a story. Uh I was going to ask you uh, how you came up with the title "Own Your Health" because that's pretty bold, right? If somebody sees that at a bookstore and they're like, "Oh, I, what are you talking about? I own my health," but that gives a meaning right there because your your parents, like you mentioned, literally saved each other's lives. Uh, and if they would have just gone with the doctor's recommendations each time, you know, it in certain situations that might not have been the best choice. It it was really themselves owning their health as well as their choice of whether they wanted to get that medical treatment or not. And, you know, they used each other's uh, support uh, where I guess uh, in this situation, it was a little bit of tough support, but regardless, you know, support there uh, to make the best decisions for themselves. Yeah. Well, if you understand nutrition, and I like to think that my book will help people understand nutrition. If you understand nutrition, then you understand what a piss poor job the American medical community is doing in general. Now, I say this at a time where we have a COVID emergency and there are so many wonderful doctors and nurses knocking themselves out 16 hour shifts, 20 hour shifts to save lives. So my, my, you know, I take off my hat to them for all their hard work. And certainly doctors and nurses save lives. But had they done their job correctly, had all doctors done their job correctly, then when their patients came into their offices, 30 pounds, 50 pounds, 70 pounds, 100 pounds overweight, the doctor would begin by saying, what are you eating? And then the doctor would say, stop eating meat. Stop eating dairy, stop eating oil, and let's get you healthy instead of just prescribing drugs. Now, who's dying of COVID? Overwhelmingly, it's the obese. So are doctors saving lives in the emergency room with COVID? Of course they are. And they're, you know, of course, they're working terribly hard 
and uh, sacrificing and uh, under very difficult conditions, and we all have to appreciate their hard work. But had they done their job correctly, those people wouldn't be dying. We have, we're the fattest, sickest population in human history. Let's, let's, let's take a moment to take that in. The fattest, sickest population in human history. We're a well-educated people, presumably. We're a, a rich country. Why are we the fattest, sickest population in human history? And how could it be that when you go to med school, and you pay, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars for this top flight education where you learn about every drug that's ever been invented and all the side effects and all the drugs for the side effects and all the drugs for the side effects of the side effects that nobody talks about nutrition. And when they don't talk about nutrition in med medical school, you don't learn a damn thing about it. How could it be that doctors would then think, well, I guess nutrition isn't important. You know, there's so much knowledge out there. Again, I mean, you could just go on YouTube channels these days and so many books on nutrition to just assume that because they're not teaching you nutrition in medical school, it must not be important, is to make a terrible assumption. It's everything. And there are cardiologists out there who are dealing with people's lives. They're do doing heart bypass transplants. And they don't know to say, stop eating meat, or they're unwilling to say it. Or they take the attitude that, well, the patient will never be able to stop eating meat, so I won't bother talking to him or her about nutrition. The arrogance of that. We know the solution. Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn took almost 200 patients and put them on a low-fat, plant-based diet without oil. And all the ones who were compliant, with one exception, I think there was one stroke, did perfectly well. And the 20 or so who didn't stay compliant had all kinds of heart attacks and strokes. So we know the answers. You know, it's it's just been established just like it's been established that smoking causes lung cancer. It's been equally well established that eating animal foods causes heart disease and diabetes and obesity and um, uh, inflammation in the body. Um, so autoimmune conditions. So we know the truth. And all we have to do is stop eating animal foods and eat a whole foods, plant-based diet. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much for saying that because, yeah, with the way things have transpired with COVID, instead of re having to react to this problem, we could have been proactive. We could have tackled the comorbidities by educating the public on the benefits of good, solid nutrition education, plant-based diets, you know, whole foods. And instead of not, uh, and then having to heavily rely and promote all of these medications out there, uh, while still I have not heard a message from our government uh, regarding nutrition. Why has that not been put out? You know, this is what you guys need to do in order to build your immune system to lose weight, to clear out your arteries, to lower your blood sugar. This message has still not been put out. And um, that's why I really like your work is because, you know, you tackle that in the sort of, you know, the medical field and the the advancements that still need to be done, uh, you know, and they need to promote more nutrition. Uh, they need to be taught more of this in medical school, like you were talking about, because it, it's it's crazy, easy. Right, and it's it's the same thing with health and with climate. They refuse to tell us the truth. Now, could you imagine if the Surgeon General did his job correctly, and and tomorrow said we we need to have a nationwide and really worldwide transition to a low fat plant based diet? Well. 
President Biden would get a lot of flack from the meat industry. He doesn't want to lose all those votes. So he would be very upset with his Surgeon General if his Surgeon General told the truth. And I guess his Surgeon General feels, I don't want to lose my job, so I'm not going to tell the truth. So that's what happens. Now, Own Your Health is all about health. And we see here that we can't rely on the government to tell us the truth about health. I have a new book out. This is a proof copy so that uh, you're going to see a band here that isn't on the actual book. But my new book is Food is Climate. And here we have the most important health lesson, really, which is we have to be able to breathe. And we're not being told the truth about climate. We're not being told the truth. Imagine that, imagine if they told us the truth. And the truth is that the, the leading cause of greenhouse gases by far is animal agriculture. Now, the politicians will never say that. Uh, the politicians, I mean, imagine if you're a, a senator or a governor and you want to get reelected and you say, everybody has to stop eating meat and dairy because of the climate. Yeah, they won't get voted. You're not going to get reelected. <laughs> and it's a shame that you're not going to get reelected, but that's, that's the reality, at least today. Well, I'm hoping to change it. Now, remember, if 30 years ago a, a senator or a governor said, we need to have gay marriage, they wouldn't have gotten reelected. And now the majority of the American people support gay marriage. So people do change. But right now, it would not be politically popular to say we need to um, uh, end animal agriculture. We need to either put a, a tax on slaughterhouses uh, or, 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 or make it illegal or in some way discourage the eating of animal foods. Um, all I'm asking for at a minimum, stop subsidizing the animal foods because all our farm subsidies go to animal agriculture. At a minimum, stop doing that, but we can't even get them to stop doing that. Uh, they would catch so much flack if they just came out against farm subsidies. So we can't rely on the politicians. But here's the truth about climate change. We, we're never going to reverse it unless the world goes vegan. And when I say the world goes vegan, does that mean every last person in the world is vegan? I mean a, a general societal transformation to a plant-based diet. Um, and the numbers are very clear why that is. The, the IPCC, the Internet uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and Al Gore and all our leading climate spokesmen, they keep trying to get us to reduce fossil fuel use. And they fail. You know, we're still using as many as much fossil fuels as we were 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago. They, it, we're, we're using more solar power now and wind power, but there are more people and there's still more use of fossil fuel. And they keep trying to solve the problem the same way and it's not working and it won't work. There's one way to solve the problem and it's the word drawdown. That's the name of Paul Hawkins' book on the subject. We need to draw down carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And the way we do that is with trees. There used to be six trillion trees on the earth. There are now three trillion trees. We've lost half our trees. Well, why did we lose all those trees? Partly we built cities, and so that's some of it, but mostly it was to graze animals. We have, we're losing the Amazon at a, like a football field a second for Hamburg. That's the greatest crime imaginable. So if we got the animals off the land, got the cattle and the sheep and the goats off the grazing land, and we just let it rewild, let it go back to forests, we'd have a trillion more trees. 
And that's the solution to the climate crisis. We need to, once you stop having farmed animals, then you don't have all that methane. And methane is 120 times more powerful than carbon dioxide at heating the atmosphere. So you don't have all that methane. And you will have trees and vegetation drawing down carbon dioxide. And the other thing you have to do is end industrial fishing so that the fish come back and the whales come back and the phytoplankton come back. Did you know, Tino, I'll bet you didn't know this, but it's in my book, Food is Climate. Did you know that whale poop helps seed cloud cover? No, I would never make that connection. No, most people wouldn't. <laughs> and I wouldn't make it to that connection until I did my research for the book. But whale poop is a source of nutrients for phytoplankton. Phytoplankton emit a chemical called dimethyl sulfide that rises in the atmosphere, bonds with water droplets, and forms clouds. The clouds reflect light and help cool the planet. When the, when the planet is cooler, the oceans are cooler. And when the oceans are cooler, the phytoplankton flourish. So they're cooling themselves. Wow. So it's a positive feedback loop when you have healthy, robust phytoplankton populations. When people eat lobster, they don't think I'm getting rid of cloud cover. But when people eat lobster, the, 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 the lobstermen put traps at the bottom of the ocean. They have ropes that connect those traps to buoys on the surface of the ocean. Those ropes sometimes trap and kill whales. So you eat lobster, you could be killing a whale, you could be eliminating some whale poop that feeds the phytoplankton that gives us clouds. You know, we just have to leave enough of the earth alone, and that's the solution to the climate crisis. I'm going to give you the solution in one minute. Here's the solution. Leave enough of the earth alone. Now, we are where, where there are almost 8 billion people on the earth. We obviously have to take up space and have our cities and have our roads and have our bridges. So there's a certain amount of the earth that we can't leave alone. We need it. We need New York City. We can't leave Manhattan alone, right? We need our cities, we need our land, we need our houses. But here's the formula for leaving 80% of the world alone, 80%. First, we leave the oceans alone, essentially leave them alone by ending industrial fishing. We can, we're still going to need ships carrying goods across the ocean, so we won't be leaving them totally alone. And those ships have to slow down sometimes to not hit whales. But... We could mostly leave the oceans alone, 70% of the Earth's surface, by not eating fish, which is unhealthy and full of mercury. You don't want to be eating fish. So if we, if we stop eating fish, we're leaving the oceans alone. And then if we don't eat meat, we're leaving the grazing land alone. The grazing land is more than one third of the Earth's non-ice land surface. So that's 80% of the world we could leave alone just by not eating flesh foods and dairy. And then the world will come back, the climate will come back. It's that simple. It's animal agriculture. It's destroying our ability to breathe. So when people would say to you, well, I don't care about my health, I, I, I like my hamburger. Yeah, but now it's your hamburger is not allowing us to breathe. We all have to be able to breathe. We have to end animal agriculture. Yes. Yeah, you said it perfectly. Uh, everything is essentially connected, and I don't think a lot of people make that connection of how my food choices affect the environment. Most people will think it's the gasoline in their car or flying to a different city or country that kind of contributes to it. But not many people make that connection with their food. And I really agree with what you said about the trees. And it's so interesting with the, the sea life as well and how it interacts, you know, down the road, it, you know, makes changes in our environment. Um, everything is connected and we have to be mindful of that and just just leave the earth alone, leave the animals alone. And, you know, the earth will 
flourish, uh, like you were saying. Um, where do you see, I guess, this movement, uh, whether you want to call it veganism, environmentalism, uh, just healthy living? Uh, where do you see things going in the next five to 10 years? Well, in the next five to 10 years, we've got to transition to being a, a, a vegan planet. Uh, my friend Silas Rao uh, has set 2026 as the goal to, to a vegan world. Um, now, again, realistically, that doesn't mean every single person on the planet is, is vegan. But if we get enough people vegan, let's, let's start with America. Right now in America, maybe three or four percent of us are vegan. If we get that to be 20 percent or 30 percent or 40 percent, animal agriculture will fold. It'll just fold. Um, and if we get it to the point where politicians can begin to be brave enough to say we need to stop subsidizing animal agriculture, you know, we needed enough support in the population. And frankly, that came through television shows. We needed enough support in the population for gay marriage before politicians became brave enough to say, let's have gay marriage. Now we need enough support in the, in the population for vegan diet, for ending subsidies to animal agriculture, that the politicians will be brave enough to say it. And, I, you know, I don't blame the politicians too much for not being brave because they want to get, they want to get reelected. And you just can't expect them to say things that are going to be very unpopular. So we, the population, we, the people need to transition to a vegan diet. And it is the only hope for the world. You know, Own Your Health was a book about health. And I'm proud of it. And it's a good book about health, I think. But the, the real health emergency is we all have to breathe. So that's why I wrote Food is Climate, because we all have to breathe. That starts, you know, that's everybody's health right there. And everybody needs to make this decision about what they eat with the planet in mind, too, and, and really themselves in mind. Because I'm telling you, if you're eating meat and your friends are eating meat, after a while, you're not going to be able to breathe, and neither will I, and I don't eat meat. So we see the fires in the West. You know, I predicted with Howard Lyman the fires in our book, Mad Cowboy. We talked about how grazing is going to lead to fire. Um, we, we have to reverse this, this climate emergency we're facing now, and the only solution to it, the only thing that will work, is rewilding as much of the earth as we could possibly rewild and protecting the ocean. Absolutely. And yet, you know, it's better to have an electric car than a gas guzzling car. It's better to have solar panels on your roof than uh, have coal-fired plants. So fossil fuels play a role too, but it's a comparatively small role. The important thing is, is not eating hamburgers. That's not eating meat. Not eating dairy, not eating fish. Well said. Yeah, I really do hope that in the next couple of years, you know, we see an uptrend in the people that are adopting this lifestyle, uh, eating more plants instead of animals. And, you know, we're already kind of seeing that. Um, I just hope that it keeps the momentum up and we see more and more people come onto this lifestyle. So uh, we talked about your book, Own Your Health. So I'll have links in the description down below where uh, people can check that out. When does Food is Climate come out? Like, what are your plans? Well, Food, food, is, climate is, food is Climate is out now. Um, um, and uh, it's available in paperback and Kindle. The audio book isn't out yet. Um, and it's a very inexpensive book. It's $4.95 for the uh, Kindle and $9.95 for the paperback. Uh, it's a very... Slim volume. It's got 65 recipes and it's got uh, about 60 pages or so of, of content on climate. And then there's a forward by an animal rights activist named Philip Wolin from Australia. Um, and uh, so it's a book that you can read in a couple hours. 
and I, I wanted it that way because I just want the message to get out. And when once I wrote the message, I didn't feel the need to add more and more and more, you know, um, discussions of, of related issues. I just the once I made my point, then I wanted the reader to then take that and run with it and share the book with friends and uh, and uh, get the message out. We all have to arm ourselves with the knowledge that the leading cause of climate change is animal agriculture. So I hope people will get the book, share it with friends and get them get the word out. Awesome stuff. And yeah, like I said, I'll have links in the description down below where people can check all of your work out. Uh, where's the best place to find you uh, through your website or are you on social media? Uh, I'm, uh, I have a website, which is glennmerzer.com, one N in Glenn, and it's a Z in Merzer, glennmerzer.com. You could put that in your notes, too. Um, and um, I, I, I'm not uh, very prolific on social media. I, I tend to tweet about once every three years, <laughs> and uh, I, I think I have an Instagram account, but I can't necessarily find it. Um, uh, by once in a while I post on Facebook. Um, uh, but, um, I'm not a social media, uh, expert. Um, so, um, uh, but you can find me on my website. Awesome. Yeah. I'll be sure to have all that so people can easily find you, connect with you and, uh, find out more about your work. But Glenn, yeah, thanks so much for coming on this podcast. I uh, really enjoyed talking with you, learning about uh, some of the stuff that you were involved in, as well as your new book uh, that's coming out, or that is out, rather. But uh, yeah, thanks thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. 